and welcome back to another episode of Real Talk. I am your host, Officer Antoine Thomas. Yep, that is me. Listen, I would like to take this time to say thank you to all of my listeners out there in podcast world. Please continue to like and share this podcast along with all the greatest and latest episodes. The third season of Real Talk has taken off with a bang. You've heard me say it plenty of times. And I am excited to bring it directly to you. If you have not had the opportunity, of course, to listen to the last episode titled, What Changes Will You Make Immediately? Um, as it pertains to Sheriff Dunning Harrison, which he won his primary election, and uh, the last and uh, most up-to-date episode was actually actually uh, episode seven. We're on episode seven of season three, and that was entitled The U.S. ICE Program, Understanding What the U.S. ICE Program is All About. You must go back and listen to that. I broke down exactly what uh, the ICE program entails uh, exactly what the uh, federal agencies had in mind when they created that Department of Homeland, uh, Homeland Security. It is a must listen to, and hopefully after you have listened to the episode, you will garner and understand a better a better um, understanding of exactly what uh, ICE does and what ICE is. Of course, many people are saying that ICE is a program that is designed to discriminate against the um, Hispanic illegal immigrants that are entering our country um, at the request and at the pleasure of the current administration, which holds uh, the presidency as it pertains to the United States. But you have to listen. It has to be addressed. You have to understand exactly what it's saying. But we know around the uh, entire country, the latest and unfortunate and sad news is related to the deadly shooting that took place in Uvalde, Texas, a couple weeks ago. Now, I have to remind you that this show is centered around the law enforcement community. As each of you know and are aware of, and you've heard me say in the open trailer of this show when I created it a couple years ago, I am on record for saying that we will never defund the police, but we we will defend the police. Now, in the same breath, I state we will talk about the good of policing and also the bad of policing. I also stated that uh, I will call out the wrongs and the rights in policing. I spoke about if an officer does his or her job correctly, I stated that I would bring those facts and praise them and bring that information to the forefront. However, I also stated when an officer fails to do his or her job properly with accurate information, of course, I will call that out with facts. Now, first, let's start off um, by identifying and separating the two law enforcement entities that ultimately have uh, first jurisdiction over the incident in Uvalde, Texas. You have to first understand that the Uvalde Police Department, uh, which ultimately oversees the entire town of Uvalde, as you know, that is the 
um, 911 responders. Those are your folks, men and women alike, who uh, answer the calls when they're dispatched. So that's what we have to first identify. Uvalde Police Department, because there are two entities involved, and we have to separate the two, and we also have to put the blame at the right department. Now, you also have the Uvalde Consolidated Independent School District's Police Department. So the Uvalde School District uh, has their own men and women that serve as police officers. So I'm really not sure if it's made up of Uvalde police officers at one time or if they serve a dual role. But what we do know that uh, there is a separation. And after doing much research, I realized that I was pointing the blame, and I was verbally saying this uh, out in the open, not here on the show, but the blame at the wrong source. The Uvalde police is not directly responsible for the failures that took place, um, which we are pointing direct fingers at the police department, but we have to separate which exactly who failed in the mission as of right now. Now, we know information is conflicting. We know from information is sometimes misinformation. We know there's been um, there have been inaccurate statements given to the governor, to the Texas Department of um, Secretary. Um, we understand that a lot of things are kind of confusing, uh, but we're going to get to the bottom today. So the the Uvalde Police Department again is uh, a separate entity. And they ultimately have jurisdiction over the entire school district. I believe we all can agree to that fact now that I have put presented you with that. Now, it's very clear that the Uvalde School District Police Department appear to be holding back facts. And we've seen that. New information is coming out. Um, other information is being corrected. So there's a lot of holes within this investigation, which is currently uh, taking place. Now, there have been several press conferences where like I stated, the Texas Governor Abbott has been provided with inaccurate information. That is not a good sign at all. Of course, we know that. As law enforcement officers, keep in mind, we have to try and we have to be transparent as possible, especially at this point with this particular incident when parents are asking basic and specific questions as to why force was not applied during the intimate deadly force situation that was happening right then. All news sources are reporting that when the officers made entry into the school, they were given a command by the Uvalde School District Police Department chief uh, who of that police department not to proceed. Okay, so the chief of the Uvalde um, Consolidated School District made the decision not to breach and not to go in those classrooms where the active gun shooting was taking place by the gunman, which is a big, big no-no, okay? Now, I'm going to stop there for just a second because some of you are saying, where are you heading with this show? Well, this show is not necessarily designed to criticize the um, two entities, the police departments. Ultimately, we know there's tons of other uh, law enforcement agencies there, including the FBI, Texas Rangers. Um, not sure the ATF is there, but if they are, you just have a a huge conglomerate of uh, different entities at that particular location right now. That is Uvalde, Texas. So we have to make sure that we understand that the Uvalde police chief, who is uh, Chief Rodriguez, 
and the Uvalde School District Police Chief, uh, Heron Dundo, are two separate men. I have to also say, state that, too, working for two separate PDs, police departments. Now, I think it is being misconstrued that these two are one, but they're not. And I have to keep emphasizing that because when I get into details here, I want to make sure that we're clear. So let's understand that the district, the school district police chief, Herondondo, made the decision not to enter the school. It was not Chief Rodriguez at this point that we're hearing and understanding. It was not him. Even though, again, I stated earlier that the Uvalde Police Department ultimately oversees the entire town. So how that looks is of a active shooter situation um, which took place here. We'll stick right here on this example. Uvalde, uh, because the jurisdiction lies within the consolidated school district's police department reigns, they have um, the ultimate investigation, the ultimate say-so, even though they're in the town of Uvalde. Uvalde um, can come in and take over at the request of the school district police department, but Uvalde is a Uvalde. That is the town where um, people pay their taxes to. They get their not um, their first responders um, from being fire rescue um, and EMS and obviously police. So we want to make sure I, I keep emphasizing that so we don't get things misconstrued. Now, however, however, I will say that the police chief, in my opinion, made the wrong call not to breach that door because. Uh, every second, every minute, and every hour counts as it pertains to preserving the lives of precious and innocent children, and we saw that. Now, according to sources, uh, an hour and 25 minutes went by before they breached and made contact with the suspect who was ultimately killed. And I'm not going to mention the suspect's name on the show. It's not about him. Don't want to praise or give any room for him, okay? We have to remember that the children cannot think quickly on their feet in most cases. So, they should have made a decision to go in, and unfortunately, there may have been some police officers that may have not made it out, but we do know at that time, looking at the facts, that if they would have went in, they could have preserved uh, maybe more lives and had less casualties. Now, this is a maybe. We don't know what there, but from what we're hearing, what we're seeing, and as an active, me being an active police officer, I understand that we're trying to go to the threat and to stop the threat. We don't wait. We don't... Um, continue to stall until the proper equipment get uh, get there. We have to uh, somehow make a decision to do our best to go in to preserve, if, even if it's one life that is uh, saved and spared, we did that. But that was a failure because they waited outside the door hearing gunshots going off. Uh, now, the chief uh, of the school district uh, stated that it was a, at once an active shooter turned to a uh, barricaded subject. Now, again, I was not there. You was not there. But what we are hearing, hearing by family members, parents, and um, police officers that was there that they could have went in and they wanted to, but they were told to stand down as they uh, stood outside that metal door wondering what was behind the door. Okay. But that did not take place. Now, children also in most cases cannot defend themselves. Be different. And I use example for the Topps um, grocery store shooting in Buffalo, New York. Now, we see that nobody had a weapon there, but they were adults that were killed. We're not taking anything away from it, but we do know that adults have a better chance of survival. You're talking about five, six, and seven, and eight, nine, ten, eleven-year-old uh, 
kids. Now we saw that some kids were able to quick uh, think quickly on their feet, and they smeared blood on their person from one of their dead uh, classmates. But not every student was able to do this. Not every student was able to think that fast. But at the um, naturalization of it, the obvious facts is children uh, have a, a better chance of not surviving than an adult in those type of environments. Now, uh, those children were very, very, very brave, and I want to commend them. I want to commend them for uh, the what we call uh, mindset to survive, went into survivor mode. Now, we as police officers swore that we would uphold the state laws as well as the, the United States Constitution. Okay, we swore that. We also swore that we would protect the lives of all people. We swore that we would use deadly force when deadly force was necessary. And in this incident, from what we saw um, and read, it was beyond necessary. You see, the Columbine shooting changed the way that we approach an active shooter incident. You got to understand that. That changed the whole game. Back uh, when Columbine took place, they were trained uh, police officers around the country. I obviously was not one at that time. But they were trained that they would not go into a uh, threatening situation of that magnitude, an intimate threat, uh, until they receive the proper amount of people to go in with them to do what we call breaching and stacking, which means the police officers line up behind each other, uh, have their weapons drawn, they have their shields, they have helmets, they have all the things that they may need. Um, even times that they would wait till the SWAT team came in, which we know those are more elite and tactical and efficient and uh, more trained to handle those situations, and they have better body armor, they have better uh, guns, they have better... Um, vehicles they have better of everything because they go into hostile environments hostile environments just like a normal beat police officer would but they are trained um but at that point that is where the fatal errors were made in columbine because they waited outside to gather they got it behind uh cover which are their vehicles behind buildings and uh, stayed out of the way of fire until they had the proper manpower now that changed okay um, and we're no longer allowed and are trained to uh, do this. We're trained to go right to the threat and to stop the threat. Now, we um, want to be clear that in an incident like that, again, we understand lives are going to be taken. Possibly some officers may be um, casualties, but we swore we uphold to go in and, and do our job effectively and prevent uh, the mass casualties. Uh, we also swore that we would put our lives before others. That is what a police officer does, the same as the military. They put their lives before citizens back home, okay, on the, as we say, um, homeland. Yes, unfortunately, there will be casualties, as I stated. Most likely, uh, the police officer side will probably have more, but uh, the breaching process has to take place. Again, the longer you wait, to make entry, the more victims inside are being killed. And we saw this in Uvalde. At this time, there is all um, of more information that is being exposed. But I am going to pause there because, believe it or not, this is not what this show is intended for. But I had to bring that out. That's all the information that I'm um, privy to share with you as I don't have 100% of the facts because you don't have them because the... Uh, powers that be um, of, of these law enforcement agencies have not um, 
given that they are withholding that until the investigation becomes more fluid. I have to give the opportunity for further investigations and final reports to come out before I make subtle and swift comments, okay? I would never, as you know on the show, just spit out information about um, things that I'm not familiar with or have heard to be facts. And in doing my research, however, I do feel comfortable to say that the Uvalde School District Police Department failed. Now, understand what I'm saying. They failed in that area as of right now to not breach and make entry sooner. Unfortunately, the people of Uvalde are at the mercy. We know that the police department, when it comes to getting updates, you saw those videos where parents were on the ground crying, screaming. Um, it is alleged that some parents bypassed what they were told by the police department and the police officers, and then some did make entry. And from what I understood, they did retrieve their uh, children, and some were not able to do that. Now, when it comes uh, to getting facts and updates, accurate information, then I will continue to spread light and shed light on this situation. However, the police chief and town officials have an obligation to do just that, and that is present the information in a timely manner at that. Now, I do find it very odd that the Uvalde School District police chief has not appeared for any press conferences. I want to say that. Uh, and nor has any official of the town made um, their way to the podium. This does normally happen, and that goes without saying, when something like this happens, any type of shooting, whether it's a school, a mall, a church, the officials that make up that particular city or town, they are at, uh, at the helm of it. They are there um, at first, and they're giving out information that they have, and they only give out the information that they have. They don't go beyond that scope. Now, this action that was done by the chief and the town officials, to me, raises a big red flag with no point intended. I don't mean to uh, uh, have a point there, but it's the truth. And you may ask, why are you saying that? Because today's show is actually centered totally to what's the buzz around the country right now. That is red flag laws. And some may be familiar, some may not. But on this show, you're going to hear me talk and digress and dissect all those uh, today. Now, the latest updates, uh, as of a few days ago, state that the Uvalde School District Police Chief Pete uh, Herendondo has stopped cooperating completely with the investigation. Again, raises a red flag. To note, the Uvalde Police District, along with the Uvalde Police Department, is cooperating. Now, you got to understand that. The school district is cooperating whatever manner they are. The Uvalde Police Department, which I told you are two separate entities, are cooperating. The chief of the um, Uvalde School District is not. As I started earlier, and as I stated earlier, this is not a good thing at all. It's not a good thing at all. Guilt has set in for sure for the chief, I'm assuming, uh, because he did, uh, from what we know and, and have read, made the wrong decision. Now, I have to talk about the issue really briefly. So, Chief Arundo, Arundondo, uh, uh, how do you want to say that? Arundondo, we'll say, was uh, elected by his peers, the citizens, to serve on the Uvalde City Council as a council member before the shooting happened. Now, I want to be very clear. Now, you would have thought that the ceremony uh, would be postponed. I would, as the town manager, would have said this is not a, a good time to continue on. Um, even the mayor, I would have said, as, as the mayor, I would have said it's not the right time 
to swear you in, Mr. Pete, and we're doing a later date. Let's get through this process. But instead, um, they proceeded on with the swearing in the other day. Okay. I believe it was Thursday or Wednesday of uh, of last week in May, the end of May. Now, the police chief would not appear for a press conference or answer any questions in the investigation as it pertains to the school shooting, but he did um, take his tail down there to the town hall to be sworn in as a council member. Which party was more um, important to him, the school shooting or being sworn in as a um, council member? Now, I understand I stated earlier that you people, you've already voted uh, Pete in uh, unanimously as uh, their next council member. I understand that. And I do understand, and I hope that the uh, citizens of Uvalde are very upset that this chief decided and, and figured and thought it was more important to appear than to be here to discuss the latest facts and information and even uh, kind of take blame. He hasn't taken the responsibility, as I know, at this point of making that wrong decision not to breach that door. Now, this is what the Uvalde mayor originally stated on last Monday, okay, um, that the special city council meeting that was held would not take place as scheduled. They had a scheduled uh, special meeting, okay. He or she added, um, our focus on Tuesdays is now on our families who lost loved ones, proper thing to do. Although there was no former ceremony, uh, they still went forth. Uh, meaning it was no former ceremony, so no cameras and um, citizens were invited. It was strictly the council members, the town manager, the mayor. But the ceremony did take place. It just was not a formal ceremony. It could have been a quick, you know, raise your hand, um, put your hand on the Bible, right hand on the Bible, and raise your left hand and uh, take the oath. I don't know exactly. But now the um, town manager, who we have his name now, Mick, uh, Lawland said that the members of the council came to the city hall at their convenience. So we see that they also showed up. The council, uh, men and women showed up during the day, okay, so that he could be sworn in, so the chief could be sworn in. Adding that uh, Arendondo did appear. He did appear. See this? I'm, I'm going forth with it. To receive the oath and sign paperwork. So he did. He did go forth. Okay. Now the police chief was elected to the council earlier this month, which would have been in May. Um, in his last Monday's uh, statement, the mayor said that the chief was duly elected. I, I stated that we understand that and that there is nothing in the city charter or in their election code or Texas Constitution that prohibits him from taking the oath of office during a mass shooting situation, I'll add. Now, he also stated to their knowledge, we're currently not aware of any investigations that uh, Mr. Arendondo was under, which is not true at all. I mean, it's very obvious that he, uh, maybe not himself, but the entire incident is on investigation. So he will fall in that bracket as he made the command not to enter. So that's kind of contradicting there. Uh, state that we obviously see what the town officials are really uh, focused on. We obviously see what they're focused on. Okay. Those are my words. It would only have been right, in my opinion, to wait, wait it out and have the swearing in at a later date. That is a wild moment, okay? I find it very disrespectful. I find that it, it, it is not one that um, should have happened. Um, the proper thing would have been 
Um, the smart thing would have been to keep the comments down, to keep the debates down, to keep the negativity down, to cancel all of the ceremonies. Tell the chief this is not the time to uh, move forward with your swearing in. Yes, we know you're elected. They may throw some numbers off, may throw some dates off, but at the end of the day, those are not priorities. The priority now is getting to the bottom of how and why um, the shooter went into that school. We don't have all the facts of that, why he went into the school, if any. And that has to be addressed. I'm addressing it here on Real Talk because it's appropriate and we have to do it. There's no other way. Now, like I stated, today's show is not dedicated to picking apart what the police did wrong and what they did right, uh, as facts are still forthcoming. I said that. Now, with that being said, I would like to send my sincere condolences to all of the families who were devastated and hurt by this tragedy. You are in my thoughts. You are in my prayers. I can only imagine. I'm not a parent. I am a uncle. But I do want to state that I, I understand this is a, a moment that will never be forgotten. It is still new and fresh. Um, and, and I just want to say that uh, we hope this never happens the way it happened again. And I always talked about it as a former sheriff's deputy um, overseeing crime prevention for that uh, particular agency, the Wake County Sheriff's Office. I was privileged to go out and talk to many students, many uh, parents, many churches, and I even uh, had the pleasure of setting up security teams and also um, presenting the active shooter information to corporation to uh, private owned businesses to churches and one thing i always said and we say this in law enforcement it is not when an incident or a mass shooting or a massacre happens uh it, it excuse me back up and say it is not um if one will happen it is just when because it is going to happen so it's never uh we can think hypothetically and say if this happens we always implement that when it happens these are the steps these are the measures this is the process that you want to take to go into survivor mode we're very upfront about that in law enforcement because we do not predict the future neither can you so all that is safe to say is when it happens you want to be prepared which is why we teach active shooter uh, scenarios, even in law enforcement um, training as it pertains to this. As a police officer, I never know when I'm going into an active shooter situation. I can start out with a beautiful day, cup of coffee, topping off the morning to having breakfast, to speaking to a class um, of students, to um, writing tickets, to having lunch, to going into a call where there is a school shooting or there is a shooting at the grocery store. We never know. Police work, as I always state, everybody who I come in contact with, they ask me. Police work is always evolving, um, forever changing. Yes, we deal with some of the same people, but we, uh, yes, we, we have some of the same types of calls, but understand that every call is different, even from the family, the husband and wife that fights daily, that one call that you go on could be that uh, active or barricaded shooter. So, yes, our calls are the same, being that we deal with uh, domestics, uh, runaways, uh, missing persons, uh, disturbances, uh, motor vehicle crashes, but every call is still different. That motor vehicle crash that I go on could be routine to me until I arrive and realize that now it has turned into a disturbance to a uh, shooting situation or to a fight, a brawl. Never know. Police work always evolving, forever changing. So I would say this, and I'm moving on to what exactly I want to talk to you about, and we'll get ready to go on break, but I want to say this, that 
it is a very tragic situation. And we understand that this gentleman went into the gun store legally and purchased two AR-15s at different times after he turned 18. The question is, where did he get all the money from? I understand that he spent about six, $8,000 on these uh, high-profiled rifles, uh, getting the um, tactical gear uh, applied. We even want to know how he obtained a ballistic vest. And I do have an opinion, even as a Republican conservative, that no person outside of law enforcement and military should even have the right, should even own a ballistic vest. Why would one need that? Now, President Biden makes a crazy, outrageous statement, talks about how a deer does not wear Kevlar vest. We understand that. Uh, he's always relating the ARs to people that may uh, want to go hunting. But what we understand is, in most cases, a lot of people are also avid gun um, collectors. I know people, talk talked to people who said, I have plenty of guns, never even shot them yet. They're in my safe. They're uh, tucked away. So you have to understand, just because somebody is purchasing a firearm does not necessarily mean that they are trying to do harm. We have to keep that in mind. And I think that's where we're falling short at. We're understanding that just because people own guns, that they're going to shoot up a school, a church, uh, a synagogue, um, somebody's home. That's not true. I own weapons. Obviously, I'm a cop, but... Even outside the weapons I own for work-related, I own my own personal guns. I don't intend to do harm. But, yes, people are saying we need to do um, a better background check, a thorough background check. We do those things. We cannot predict what a person does. Does mental health play a factor 100%? But um, at the end of the day, the Kevlar vest and things like that should raise a red flag, an 18-year-old kid at that. Um, you have to also look at the dynamics of these people, look at the personalities taught with them. Uh, kind of address them. People say, well, should the gun dealers should be, uh, should they be held responsible for this? And the question and the answer is no. Now, should red flags kind of be elevated and should they be brought to the forefront? Sure. Um, this may be able to happen with engagement and understanding why exactly uh, this gentleman wanted to purchase a gun. Maybe they had conversations. Maybe um, somebody had an idea or inclination that this person, this guy, had no knowledge of guns, and he went straight to the most powerful weapon that a citizen can own outside of, um, of course, um, grenades and things like that. But a handgun, maybe it wouldn't have been as questionable. Um, even the AR is not questionable unless these people are weird. And, I, and again, weird does not stop someone from owning a gun. The way they dress does not stop somebody from being able to purchase a weapon. We have to understand that. There's no discrimination within the process of person purchasing a weapon, uh, a weapon, but things that uh, are concerning is why, the why, um, what for. But maybe these questions were not asked or addressed because these people thought he was doing in good faith or they may, maybe they want to make a sale. They were able to um, ultimately make money off a guy who was vulnerable, who didn't know anything about weapons uh, outside of, you know, shooting guns on his uh, virtual gaming uh, consoles, but that is a whole different ball game. But those questions may have and could have been answered, but they um, are not or wasn't, or we can also say has not been brought to the forefront yet. So let's wait and see. But today's show is solely dedicated to understanding what red flag laws are. We hear that buzzword, red flag laws. That is today's show. I'm strictly going to be dealing with that now. At this current time, all you are hearing on the news is red flag laws, red flag laws, this and that, that and this. What are actually red flag laws? What do they mean? Red flag laws or extreme risk protective orders, which some call 
allow for the confiscation of firearms legally possessed by individuals who are accused of being imminent dangers to themselves or others. We saw that in Uvalde. You would say that in Sandy Hook as well uh, in the Topps grocery store shooting. Now, we do have to talk about the fact that this law does violate the United States Constitution, the Second Amendment, right, to bear arms, if some may be wanting. It would not be right if we, if I did not mention the fact that, uh, guess what, I do understand what the law is intended to do as it pertains to this red flag law. I understand what we're trying to accomplish. Keep in mind, though, that red flag laws are advertised as legislative solutions to gun violence. This is not the all uh, be-all, be-all, end-all solution. Now, another source believes that the red flag law is designed to prevent individuals who show signs of being a threat to themselves. We don't know if the Uvalde uh, shooter showed any signs of this. We do know he made outrageous comments to people who did not know him and did not at that time understand what was going on. But to prevent individuals who show signs of being a threat to themselves or others uh, from purchasing or possessing any kind of firearm. we got to remember just not the purchasing of it possessing it, maybe their family members, friends on them. So how do red flag laws work? In communities where they are implemented, red flag laws allow police, family, and others the right to petition. You have to petition the courts to have the guns confiscated um, or either third party if it portrays uh, to them or it is um, clear to them that that person is in imminent danger, again, to himself or others. Okay? Now, we have to discuss the pros, if there are any, and the cons to this law as well. We have to understand that. We have to bring them to the forefront. Now, I do have to mention, once again, that this is a violation of the United States Constitution, Second Amendment. But besides that, red flag laws create dangerous scenarios for both the individual's uh, subjects to them and also to the law enforcement who um, agencies or officers who are attempting to enforce this law and taking away the firearms because at some point the judge signs on it but law enforcement has to come in and take the weapons or of course the family can uh, turn them over but these can be issues okay that we have to keep in mind and address now news source american police officers alliance.com states for example in just the first year of maryland enforcing its red flag laws the state of maryland one man was killed by police after his weapon Discharge when resisting the order. Okay, so he did not want him to take his guns. Why he said go down with the fight because he legally obtained them. Well, I understand that. Okay, now allowing third parties to request the confiscation of law-abiding citizens. Keep in mind, law-abiding citizens' firearms leads to violation of the Constitution. I'm going to always say that. I'm going to keep uh, hitting it in your brain and individual liberties of American citizens. This is why conservative movement is fighting back on this. Because it is a violation. We can't just go around violating the Constitution without um, reprimand and consequences. They can also lead to frivolous and vindictive attempts to target police, as it is evident in Colorado. This happened in Colorado in the case, okay? You can look that up at your leisure. Now, statistics show that thousands of red flag law petitions have been filed in 18 states now, including Washington, D.C., um, okay, since these laws were first enacted in 1999. Now, with the majority coming in recent years following the Parkland shooting, I cannot forget about that one. How can I forget about the Parkland uh, shooting in Florida, Fort Lauderdale, which is where I'm from. Okay, born and I was 
Uh, some would say not raised, but I was born there to the age of 12. I left and moved to North Carolina with my parents. Now, it's not clear, however, how much these unconstitutional laws have decreased in violent uh, crime or gun violence beyond other federal regulations already on the books. Got to keep in mind there are mechanisms and laws in place. Now, I want to take a look at New York where firearms are frowned upon. We know that, and they are illegal to even possess in the state of North, in New York. As we know, New York has one of the toughest gun laws in the states, and they're still adding more to this, okay? But yet we see a lot of gun shootings taking place by criminals who shouldn't own guns at all, gang members who shouldn't own guns at all. Now, the red flag law, also known as the extreme risk protection order law, is effective in New York State, and they enacted this on August 24, 2019. Now, this law prevents individuals who show signs of being a threat to themselves or others, of course, purchasing and possessing any type of firearm. Now, that law provides all necessary procedural safeguards to ensure that no firearms are removed without due process, and that is the legal and court process, while ensuring that tragedies like, again, uh, the Parkland school shooting in Florida uh, which um, and the racist mass shooting, which uh, I stated took place in Buffalo. We know that was a racially um, motivated incident that we want to ensure these things are not repeated again. That is the whole point of enacting something as law to prevent the um, reoccurrence of it. That is obvious. Now, these laws in New York bill um, and uh, create a strong nationwide uh, gun law, okay, and makes New York the first in the United States to empower, okay, its teachers and school administrators and the mental health professionals to prevent shootings by pursuing court intervention. So now they're putting the uh, liability on the schools and the teachers and the principals. Uh, but we have to go back to the parents. These are the parents' first obligation, and this is their responsibility to know what's in and outside of their uh, child's room. Okay? If the parents would have known, in the case of Uvalde grandparents, we understand that's who he lived with, had more opportunity to go through that room when he was at school and kind of gather what was going on in there, uh, or even watching some of the things that he was um, watching on TV or the type of games we were playing may have uh, helped. But I'm not going to say it could have prevented, but could have helped. Now, New York Governor Kathy Hochul signed an executive order on May 18th of um, this year, last month, to require state police, obviously after the shooting, to file for an extreme risk protection order. ERPO, they call it. Whenever they have probable cause, not even want the police to also enact this and file for these petitions when they have probable cause, which means being unnecessary or uh, any type of doubt, uh, guilt is there, uh, evidence is there, the facts are there to have probable cause to believe that an individual is a threat to themselves or others. So it's not just a whim. It's not just you may, they have to have probable cause, just as we here in North Carolina have to have probable cause to make an arrest. You need probable cause. And they're saying this to be able to take the guns. This is what they put in place, uh, even though they're still um, breaking the Second Amendment. Now, I understand if a person has all these red flags on their Facebooks and they're stating they're going to blow up a school or shoot up a school, then yes, these things should be looked at and probably have their guns petition to be taken away. I'm all for that, but just not knowing and taking away guns is illegal. It's not within the Constitution. Now, according to PewTrust.org, um, it states that Washington State, their extreme risk protection order, um, 
as it pertains to the protection order law, often called a red flag law, has been on the books for five years. They've had it for five years in the state of Washington. Now the Washingtonians don't know, the citizens of Washington don't know the law uh, even exists. Some people don't even know it exists, let alone the details to petitioning the process to get it started. This is what uh, was said by Shaw, a member of PewTrust.org. Stated that the state's first red flag law, he was the first to advocate for it. So he's been pushing, he or she's been pushing this for it to go forth. Now, often people find out about the law only after they are called upon by the police to report that a family or a household member is making threats uh, or is experiencing suicidal thoughts. What do you mean by that? After they reported that the family member um, or friend has created this type of environment, then the police will um, explain to them this, but at forefront, they don't even know about it. Now, if you think that everyone is on board with this policy, then you are sadly mistaken because they're not. There's also a movement taking place to counteract the red flag laws. We have to understand that in response to these new infringements on law-abiding gun owners' rights. In the cities across the country, they have also uh, begun to declare that the Second Amendment needs a place. And so they've enacted uh, Second Amendment sanctuaries. What are Second Amendment sanctuary cities? Let me tell you what that is. There are cities and jurisdictions uh, which refuse to comply, obviously, with the red flag laws, and they believe it is unconstitutional to enact such laws for gun control measures, okay? Those are what we call Second Amendment sanctuary cities, which means they're protected by that, and they're going to uphold that. You can't do it. So some may say, come join, come live, uh, come play in these areas because we are under a sanctuary and we are protected. That's what that means. Now, understand there are over 1,200 Second Amendment sanctuaries across 37 states in our country. The citizens of Virginia alone have established the Second Amendment sanctuaries in 86 of their um, counties, okay? Excuse me, 95 counties, but they also have implemented in 86 um, Second Amendment sanctuaries. So 95 counties, they have this, Okay. Now, I, I, I want to now discuss what your president, Biden, states he'll be doing along with some of the Democrats on Capitol Hill to um, impact, to counteract this issue as it pertains to red flag law. Now, apparently, there are now bipartisan talks uh, amongst both sides, Democrats and Republicans, about gun reform. And I'm all for gun reform within reason, within right. Some Democrats are saying that they now have Republicans sitting at the table with them, which is not bad. It's always good to have a conversation uh, with them to discuss the gun reforms, to raise the age to purchase firearms, and a.k.a. most definitely rifles. They want to enact more stronger and tougher mental health background checks. Now, Biden also states that he will begin aggressive conversations uh, with the lawmakers, the legislators, to enact a version of the red flag law. So apparently he's working on this now. Now, this is my last point. I watched Biden give a, his press conference on last Thursday, okay, back in eight, uh, May, the end of May. It was last Thursday evening to uh, be exact, and I want to give the exact date when that took place. So that was on the on May 30th. 
Biden went to the air, did a press conference on that last Thursday evening, May 30th, regarding, regarding the shooting. Now, I cannot believe what I heard come out of his mouth. Now, keep in mind that each president is given teleprompters. We know that to read from when they're holding press conferences, etc., so they don't get things misconstrued. They don't go off the beaten path. Biden stated that there were 26 people uh, who died in the Uvalde shooting. Now, remember, he's reading from the uh, teleprompter. There's no way there was an error that had 26 people killed. We understand there was 21 people, okay? We understand that for a fact. We know that there was 19 uh, children killed, okay? We know for a fact there was only two adults killed within that shooting. We know that. Where did 26 uh, casualties come from? I have no idea. We all know that it is not factual to, to mistake or to not give the proper information and not to be accurate. As the president of the United States, you cannot give out the wrong information, inaccurate information while you're on national TV. At any point, um, too, should you not be giving out the wrong information. But he did it on national television. That makes a big difference. 26, when there was actually 21 dead, I have a problem with that. On top of this, this is a very, very touchy subject. How could you get it wrong, Biden? You just cannot go around making simple uh, statements and simple facts in Correct and inaccurate. You can't do that. Got to be exact. Got to be right. All I'm saying is Joe Biden. And that is a, another wild moment, which is why he's not competent to lead our country. Um, for him to get up there and say such a um, inaccurate count of deaths, that is beyond me. It, it, it is not right. He shouldn't be saying it. Shouldn't even be doing it. Well, Biden, this is not true. As you would first have to change. Uh, the trajectory of what you're saying, okay? The trajectory of your comments. Got to be right. Now, Biden also uh, stated on this past Monday, just went away from which would have been May the 27th, 2022. He stated on another press conference before uh, May 30th uh, that there should be no reason anyone would need to own a rifle with that, and, and, and then that you should have the able and you should have the capacity to shoot out 300 rounds. Now, Biden said that as if uh, an AR can hold 300 rounds and shoot them, and he also made the comment rapidly. Okay? And we have to address that. There's no AR that I know of can shoot 300 rounds in one magazine. One magazine setting. I don't know of any. I own two ARs. I don't think that's possible. I haven't been able to see that. Don't know how you came up with that number. Well, Biden, I have to call you out, and it's not true. As you would first have to change the magazine after uh, shooting 30 spit rounds. That's how much a magazine holds within a AR um, mag. You can only get 30 in there comfortably. And I, again, I know this. I own two of them. Now, in order to shoot 300 rounds, which is possible, and we all can do simple math, you have to make a couple magazine changes three uh you have to do it 10 times to be able to shoot 300 rounds out which would have mean that he would have had to drop which he had multiple magazines on him we do know that in the uvalde shooting okay and if you saw the buffalo shooting he made um a magazine change if not two okay and shooting off 30 rounds rapidly like that it's going to happen quickly so biden that's not right now, it's common sense math. Okay, I just did it. 
But a magazine holding 300 rounds is just not accurate. And I keep saying that. It is misleading to the folks who have no idea what guns are about, what they do, how many magazines they hold. We have to talk about that because uh, your words matter, Biden. Words matter. Okay. Now, Biden had the opportunity to regroup and come back, recess after being, I'm sure, um, slain and reprimanded by his staff for making such a, a narrow-minded and inaccurate comment. Now, these are just the simple things. These are just simple things, Joe, <laughs> that you have to get right, Joe. You got to get them right. If you're going to defend a point, you have to make sure your 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 statements, your uh, points are accurate and, and that you back them up with factual information. Now, Biden had the opportunity to regain himself in a statement that he made during the press conference. He, he, he regained himself on that May 30th press conference, okay? And this is what he said. He said an AR magazine holds 30 rounds. Ding, ding, ding. Biden, you got it right. You're now correct, and I can no longer uh, reprimand you, um, harass you, uh, make fun of you for saying that because now you have said the right things, okay? You've said the right things. 30 rounds is what a magazine holds, okay? So we have to be correct with that. I'm almost done with this episode, but it was much needed that I come on here and talk about these things. You've already police failures. Uh, the school district failures, and then go into the red flag laws. Now, I got to throw this in there, okay, really quick. I would not want to be the Texas DPS secretary right now, okay, or colonel, um, the director of DPS. His name is Stephen McGraw, uh, Stephen McCraw, excuse me. I would not want to be him because he has a very important and tough job as he's trying to bring out information. He's called out the Uvalde School District Police uh, on the failure of not making entry. Um, he pointed the blame to them. He made that. He stated this is not a defensive time. I'm not here to defend uh, the police department, but I'm here to only talk about the facts. That's what we do on this show. Now, keep in mind, all mouths and ears point directly to him right now, uh, Colonel McCraw, because he is the lead uh, person in, in this investigation, and he's the one that you keep seeing appear on the news media, okay? And everyone involved, uh, including the media, they want answers and they want them now. Of course, all information is not able uh, and privy to be released now. It's not even possible for him to get all the information out now because he's still gathering it. And as he gathers it, he put it together with his staff and he presents it to media and to the world. And I just want to say good luck to you, Colonel McCraw. Uh, McGraw. It is McGraw. I, I, I've been saying McCraw, but it is McGraw with a G. I do want to say that you have a tough job. And again, on this show, I, I go by facts, which is why I'm correcting your name. Uh, we have to deal with that only. Facts only, leaving out our uh, opinions only when we have one. Um, and again, I can do that on the show. I'm confident to say that the errors were made right there. The failure of not breaching the door because that's what we've been presented with. Feel comfortable to say that. And it's only befitting that I stop here. It's only befitting that I go no further because at the end of the day, we have to understand this. We are um, facing a world of violence and it is not getting better. It's getting worse. And the only way to combat this, the only way to really stay true to what we know and believe, we have to get to the bottom of it. We have to really seek the information that we're seeking and we have to get to facts, facts only, okay? And if things are not going the way they should go, we have to dig deep, dig deep down inside and we have to uh, appropriately address uh, what is going on in our country. 
And on this show, I do that. I don't give out wrong information. I only give out the facts, okay? And that's what we do on this show. This show is dedicated to giving out information and giving out the right information. And I do that here. And again, I want to send my condolences to the family uh, and families of all the victims and to the police departments as well. You're going to need it. Um, and we're praying that from here on out, we get the right information. And I'm going to leave it there. I'm done. I am done with this particular episode. I have no more to say about this matter. It is done. It is in the books. It will go down in the um, Real Talk podcast records that I spoke about what red flags are, what the um, legislators are trying to enact. And I get it to a standpoint they're trying to do good. But I'm going to leave it there. Listen, I have really enjoyed bringing this show to you, as I always say. I need you to reach one and teach one. Let this episode shed light, spread it so that we can know. Look it up. Continue to do your research. And please stay tuned for the next episode of Real Talk, okay? Um, and more information I get, I may continue this and, and bring out facts. Or uh, One thing we don't do in law enforcement, we always state we don't want to Monday morning quarterback the issue because we were not there, and I hope that you will do the same. But I only want to get on this particular episode and bring the facts to you, and I've done that, okay? Please, God, continue to bless our country. May God bless you. Uh, God, continue, please, to bless our men and women that are making up the armed forces. And please continue to bless men and women in blue. And again, a special prayer to everyone affected by the mass shooting in Buffalo, in Uvalde, in Tulsa, uh, Oklahoma. And to anyone that has had uh, death in the family and any death within your uh, friendships um, as it relates to gun violence. There is something that we can do about gun violence. We can be sure, we can be uh, very careful, and we can make sure that we are um, seeing the signs, identifying the signs. Parents do more uh, of investigations in your loved one's homes and be able to get to the bottom so that you're not the blame when all is said and done. The Uvalde shooter, his mother's at blame and at fault right now for this issue. And should she take on all of it? Possibly not. But there was some discrepancies there. I understand she was not even taking care of her son. They're in the custody of her parents. So we have to look at that. But I want to leave it there. And until we have another episode, I want to say thank you for listening. And you're always listening to Real Talk. And I am your host, Officer Antoine Thomas. Until we converse again, until we meet again, stay safe and God bless you.